You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit organization Win Women and in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, Global Product Lead at Win by Night and Product Manager by Day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Win Win Podcast. It has been a minute, and I've honestly really struggled what to say on this podcast when I was returning to it, just given the events happening in the Middle East, which is obviously very near and dear to my heart as someone who was born and raised in Israel. I did really want to get this episode out because it was Global Mental Health Day in October, and I spoke to Courtney Carlson, today's guest, late in that month, and we really just dive right into the conversation when we recorded, so I did want to give some background on her and the amazing platform which she found at Paradigm before we get to the episode. Mental health is something that is an ongoing project and something that we grapple with every day as human beings, and that's why I appreciate that Courtney started Paradigm by building a simple app where people can basically articulate and work through their emotions day to day, but the technology is really backed by science. And now, Courtney has evolved Paradigm in a two-sided marketplace, which has the consumer side as well as the clinician side. So therapists can actually learn more about their patients as they are doing those daily check-ins and interacting on the app. And then they can also scientifically track how therapy and the well-being of their patients is going in combination with the therapy sessions which they are administering. Courtney is such a humble entrepreneur in person, but is someone who is so clearly motivated and driven to solve the issues around mental health and well-being. And I'm just really grateful to share her story at a time that I think we all Really need it. I hope you enjoy this episode, and there are so many more that I recorded and will be releasing between now and the end of the year, so definitely stay tuned. Hi, Courtney. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hi, Zoe. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. I know this one has been a long time coming. I'm so excited to speak to you as somebody who's been in the win aura for multiple years. And of course, today I'm looking forward to discussing your own startup paradigm. A lot of the times people think about what it really means to be a founder. There's this like glorification of what it is. And of course, like hustle culture presents it as the job that's 24-7. But I'd really love to start this podcast with talking about what do you actually do day to day and what does it mean to be a founder to you? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And actually, just before I dive into that, I actually come from a family of entrepreneurs. So starting a business was something that uh, I'd always wanted to do. And I was very aware of the grind that it requires. Um, so that that glorification and the kind of, what is it, perceived glamour that sometimes comes with being a founder uh, was not something that I was sort of stuck on or an idea that, that I had in my mind uh, because it, I was very aware early on uh, what it takes. My journey started actually after my MBA. And when I look back on how I've evolved from that very beginning, starting a company, I, I thought it was always going to be very easy, actually, uh, or easier than it actually is. So even though I saw my parents do it, and I saw the challenges that, that came with that. Because I saw how quickly that success came, there was an expectation that, that it would come relatively quickly for me as well. So I, I did my MBA because I wanted to switch 
industries. I'd previously been working in luxury fashion. I have a sales background and I knew that I wanted to, to move into technology while I was doing my MBA. So I worked at LinkedIn. I worked at another mental health startup called Soma Analytics, where I learned, I learned all about sort of product and how to build product. But actually building your own product was, it was difficult. Um, and also having to have your hands and all those different, all the different pies that come with being a, an early stage founder. I think that was very fun and speaks to my personality. I, I get, I like to, I like to be stimulated in different, different parts of my brain. Um, but it can be challenging switching gears like that. So those were the early days, just really getting a, a handle on what it would look like and understanding actually how to build something from the ground up. I think the, the biggest realization coming from very big brands previously, so I worked at, you know, I worked at LinkedIn, I worked before that in fashion, I was at The Row, I was at um, Celine, and I had very strong sales chops. Um, but actually then having to sell something that I had built by myself without the big brand behind me was... Yeah, it was very interesting. It's a lot harder. Yeah, it's a lot harder. It was, and it also requires a, a level of confidence, I think, that I didn't actually have at the beginning, but I have now since uh, been able to acquire. In terms of my day to day, though, it's looking a little bit different now that I've had a baby, but uh, let's, uh, I can tell you what it looks like when I'm in sort of full, full gear. I wake up relatively early, 6, 6.30. I like to work out in the morning to get my mind um, and body sort of fresh and ready for the day. I also meditate before I hit my desk and I always cook myself breakfast. It's like my little um, luxury of the day and it puts me in a really good mood. And then, you know, I'm usually at my desk by around 8.30, 8.45, but I've gotten sort of all the self-care stuff out of the way so I'm, I can hunker down for the whole day if I, if I need to. Each day looks different. I mean, Mondays, normally it's internal meetings and then uh, throughout the week it can be a number of external meetings, um, calls with investors, calls with clients, calls with potential new partners. Usually finish around yeah 6.37 unless I'm, there's a big campaign that I'm doing. So for example, during um, during a fundraise, I could work till very late, especially because I'm sitting in the UK right now. So uh, I'll work till I, I historically have worked till like eleven or midnight, so that I can get calls done with uh, West Coast or the East Coast. But that's there's no typical day, but that's sort of a it in a nutshell. Yeah, and and that makes a lot of sense, just given the array of challenges that you're solving for. One of the things I personally resonated with with your background is I actually did the luxury fashion thing as well, and then I uh, interned at the district attorney's office. I know you uh, interned at the Senate, and of course, you spent a little bit of time in the innovation agency world. Again, similar to you, I ended up switching into technology, working in product, and while I have spoken far too many times about how I didn't feel like I had the traditional imposter syndrome experience because I was just excited to learn and grow in a new field. I do think I came in with this chip on my shoulder about the perception of my experience. And I imagine that that scrutiny is even heavier for somebody who's a founder and where investors are asking, why should you be the person to solve this problem? Have, have you experienced that? And if so, how? So I definitely experienced feeling a little bit less than because of my uh, luxury fashion background. I think in my mind, I, my MBA, I, I think I leveraged that as as a way to sort of give myself the gravitas. I came into this really from my own personal experience. And I think that's what I've leaned into. Um, and because I've done that, we've been able to attract a lot of really fantastic psychology talent um, 
And I think having them on the team has also been a real strength of paradigm as we've leaned on the science from the very beginning. This is an industry that's full of really well-meaning people, but not very many people actually care about the science or took the time or take the time to to really make sure that everything is evidence-based. That's something that we do and that we care very deeply about. I think I realized very early on that my experience in this space, which is that essentially it took me over 20 years to find the right type of support, which means that I've tried almost everything, actually is a, is, was a key strength when I was building, building our, our platform. And on that note about the platform, obviously I introduced it a little bit in the intro, but you are building Paradigm, uh, an app that helps users improve their well-being and accelerates improved psychological outcomes. And for those listening, I mean, mental health in many ways probably feels really ubiquitous. There's all sorts of companies doing it, but at the same time, it's an industry and a problem that we are far, far, far from solving. So what's the angle with which you approach this problem and, and what makes Paradigm unique? I mean, we, we really approach it from a integrative perspective. So there are many different kinds of therapies out there. What I saw personally uh, with what worked was this kind of amalgamation of various types of different types of therapy that could work for me. And we wanted to take that and put it into our program, into the app. So everything in the app is evidence-based. We don't, you know, we don't use one specific type of therapy only. Many of the apps sort of use only CBT or um, DBT. Uh, we use many, many different modalities, but everything is evidence-based. That's the most important thing, which means that everything has science behind it and has demonstrated psychological impact for a large number of people. And we've actually also done research on our app itself. The best part about our app is that it's all about identifying your emotional patterns. So it's really, I think it's really engaging in the way that we, the way that we present patterns, it's almost like, you know, you're uncovering a horoscope almost, which which makes it really fun. Uh, the other the other biggest strength is that when we were building, we knew that the most important piece when you're seeing any kind of outcomes in therapy is that relationship between client and therapist, and we wanted to take that and somehow build it into the app. And so we've been really deliberate about tone of voice and you know trying to share about us in the app, really helping to build that trust, which is also a key factor in seeing outcomes. And I think that does make us very different. I think a lot of companies that have maybe prioritized growth over building the right kind of intervention, as a result, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that might not necessarily be the most trustworthy or the most reliable. And that's really where we wanted to shine. So we we care deeply about uh, our users' privacy Everything is evidence-based. We really make it with love. Um, we're a small team and we yeah, we care deeply about what we've put out there. And we're really hoping that, yeah, to, to, to help impact many people and give access to high-quality support at, at our users' fingertips. Our content is, is, I think, is very special. I agree. And even, you know, you mentioned designing this app as made for millennials and Gen Z. I mean, it's really, really sleek. And I also do think it incorporates some of those elements of gamification, the overall design really takes away the shame that's still so associated with therapy and mental health. And again, I know it's something that people speak about, but at the same time, it's not yet as celebrated as going on your Instagram, which is actually detrimental to your mental health. So I really like that you've also prioritize the content um, and the way that you're presenting that. Thank you. 
When you set out on this journey, of course, building any sort of startup, you have to have that product market fit, which it sounds like you have with all of the users using your platform. With the fundraising process, there's a lot of considerations about who are the kind of investors that you want to align yourself with, and then obviously getting that buy-in from investors. You mentioned this at the very start of the podcast, but you are a mom now, and just from intimately knowing you, I know that you were going through your pregnancy while you were fundraising, and there were lots of considerations around even the conversation, the communications around that, and also what it would mean like for once you got back. So let's start with what was it like being pregnant and fundraising? I actually really enjoyed being pregnant. So I was really lucky um, in that I had a very straightforward pregnancy and I wasn't sick at all. So I was, you know, working out, I was able to work very full days and fundraising whilst I was pregnant was I think no different to fundraising when I wasn't pregnant, actually. Amazing. I did actually fly over to New York and I was fundraising, you know, I was doing in-person meetings and I was very nervous about that, actually, because I was wondering, you know, whether I'd be judged. Um, I, was, I was heavily pregnant, sort of eight months pregnant and sitting across the table from people. But actually, it really didn't impact very much, uh, which was a really pleasant surprise. Why do you think that is? So up until this point, it's been predominantly uh, friends and family and, um, you know, angel investors, family offices investing in the the consumer app. And that's because I, you know, I really wanted to build this with intention and without having to prioritize growth at all costs, which is what we've been able to do up until now. Yeah, that's been really important, actually. And I, there is this debate, I think, amongst many of the health founders about what type of capital makes sense in this space, because health does just take longer. Um, you know, to, to sell into an insurance um, company, it takes 12 to 18 months. So it's a really long sales cycle. Mm-hmm. And that means that you need patient capital, essentially, which a lot of the institutional investors aren't necessarily so patient. And so maybe because we were targeting not non-institutional investors, it was a bit more straightforward and uh, it was less judgment, perhaps. And is that something you led the conversation with? I mean, as you said, you were visibly pregnant, but I do think sometimes people have the courtesy to not call that out. So how did that conversation go? Actually, yeah, I did not call it out because I didn't feel that it was anyone's business. You know, I think that if a male founder was fundraising and his wife was pregnant, he wouldn't mention it. My belief was that and is that the pregnancy wasn't going to impact my ability to move the company forward. And so it wasn't necessarily a requirement to to disclose. I think that if I had believed that things would slow down or, you know, things weren't in place for my my very short maternity leave, I I only took eight weeks off, then perhaps it would be uh, something to disclose. But in this case, I'd, I'd really been very deliberate about my my time off. I'm a solo founder, so it was something that I was really conscious of. I, I really wanted to make sure that we continued to move forward at pace. And I brought in um, an interim COO. We have a really strong leadership team aside from that. And it, it went really well, actually. That's amazing. And I really do appreciate you diving into the tactical details because I am sure that there are so many women listening and grappling with this very thing. And if they are going to say something, what should they say? So I I do really appreciate it. And on that note, you mentioned your very short eight-week maternity leave. Wow. So tell me about that. Well, I, you know, it's funny. I I didn't really understand what it would entail. And I I was very nervous about that. I feel like there was a lot of unknowns being a first-time mother 
I love working. I wasn't, sh- I, you know, to, to even take eight weeks off and it's not, it's not off. It's, you know, it's, it's doing a different job. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know what to expect. And I, I'd heard a lot of, about six months before I took my time off, um, I was asking a lot of founders and uh, seasoned female leaders about what they did during their maternity leave. And there were a lot of people that actually thought that eight weeks was way too short. And that, you know, and, and hearing that was a little scary to me because as a solo founder, I, I didn't think that I could really take more time than that, actually. And so that made me very nervous about what to expect. But then because I'd set it up so well, uh, those eight weeks were actually really lovely. I was able to fully switch off. I was able to be with the baby. And when I came back, I came back slowly. So I actually came back part time. And I think that's testament to the great team that I have uh, that I was able to actually do that. And now things are ramping up again a little bit more, uh, which is great. But yeah, the way that I set it up made this very plausible. I would also say that I I invested heavily in my healing team. So I I actually had a a doula who was um, helping me out to to heal. She would actually come to the house a couple of times to help with anything that I needed, prescribing specific herbs and um, doing specific body work to help move move along the healing. And I think that really helped. Mm. Um, I had a, a food delivery service actually with sort of very healing foods because during those eight weeks, you just don't have time to cook. And that my husband wasn't, wasn't going to be able to cook the right type of foods for me either. Mm-hmm. And so she was delivering, you know, really nourishing things, a lot of bone broth and sort of soupy um, vegetarian meals to really help my, my body heal as quickly as possible. And I think and and then lastly, we also had a maternity nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was also able to get sleep. I was still waking up in the night, but, you know, it was a bit more contained, like less chaotic having her, her with us. And I think having all of that support meant that I was able to heal very quickly. And um, actually, after six weeks, I was um, maid of honor for my sister's wedding. I was able wow. to walk down the aisle after quite a, my birth was actually quite, quite traumatic. And despite that was able to heal very quickly was made of honor at my sister's wedding I walked down the aisle with my baby and um yeah and then was back to work part-time by eight weeks and and now ramping up again so I think you can't underestimate the healing side of things I'm very happy that I was able to really take care of myself and that I had the the privilege to be able to to support myself in that way no, that's really fantastic. And while, of course, while acknowledging the privilege, but I also think it goes to show that you're such a critical thinker and problem solver and approached even your birth with such meticulous care. Something I also really appreciated that you shared was that you had reached out to other female founders and people in your community. So how how did you and how do you go about cultivating the network of women in your life specifically as it relates to being a founder? You know, I've really set up my network. I think that's something that I've really learned uh, over the years is that having a strong network is key. And I have a strong network of founder friends. And, uh, you know, and that, and that ranges from early stage founders to very, very seasoned entrepreneurs, CEOs, and other C-level professionals. And I really, I just put the word out there that I was looking to speak to other women. Um, so I spoke to, yeah, a number of an array of, of different kinds of women. There was one woman actually, she is a CEO of a, of a large billion dollar corporation. And she told me that she was pregnant when she was actually doing a roadshow to go public. And 
she actually no she didn't tell anybody that she was pregnant and um her investors didn't even notice they all just thought that she was fat which i i mean i thought that was an amazing story and that, um, that's amazing yeah i love that no and it's so impressive and it just goes to show you know i have the conversation about what equality means because so many people say to me you know it's so great that you do women in innovation but like you know women work now there is no more sexism and you know sexism comes in so many different forms invisible or visible forms so i think the conversation about pregnancy and functioning in the workplace, what you have to disclose, what you don't, I think it's still really critical to have. So I'm glad that you were able to share her story and of course your own. And of course, every person in any sector or industry, but especially those of us working closer to technology are wondering how do we decipher what is kind of a buzzword in technology versus an actually really promising technology. Obviously, things like the cloud, blockchain, AI come to mind. What is really top of mind for you and what's a technology or innovation that you are really excited about in your space? So I think, you know, we're really excited about Gen AI and the good that it can do for both our consumer and our client. We're still really trying to understand how it can be impactful on our platform specifically. For example, we're, we're taking a look at our, uh, at our weekly reports that we give our consumer and how can we, how can we make those even more impactful for the consumer? You know, as, as we're building the, the two-sided marketplace for both client and clinician, um, the idea being that we're our, our platform, our, our consumer engagement platform, is already helping the user to become more uh, therapy ready, and then on the other side of the platform, we're able to to funnel those therapy ready clients to the clinician. Really being able to to impact the quality of care, because what we've seen is that when um, when clients come into clinicians and they're not ready for therapy, they drop out very quickly, and that can be very disheartening um, both for the client and the and the therapist. And so we're really helping to, to, to make that process a lot more smooth and streamlined so that more people can access high quality support. And I think being able to leverage Gen AI in that journey is something that we're really interested in, in understanding. So it's, we're still very early days, but it's definitely been more and more, uh, you know, a high topic of discussion in our product meetings. I do think that going forward, you know, it is a really important technology. And I think if you're not figuring out how to incorporate it into your product, um, there's a high chance that you'll be left behind. Absolutely. And I love the thought and care with which you're talking about it, because I agree with you that if you're not being forward thinking with technology, you're going to be left behind. But the true unlock versus just a buzzy AI meets XYZ is actually figuring out what problem it can solve in your business, which it sounds like that's what you're thinking about. So with that, uh, as we wrap it up, I would love to ask you the question we ask all of our innovators, and that is where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? So one month from now, I don't envision too much change for both myself and the industry. You know, health moves very slowly, although with Gen AI in the mix, maybe it'll start moving a lot <laughs> quickly. But the funding environment generally for health was was not great in Q3. So I think we'll, we'll sort of stay a little bit slower um, at this point. I think for, for me personally, we'll be continuing to focus on getting those pilot partnerships in um, with the group practices, which I'm really excited about and starting to, to really lay the foundation for, for building this, the other side of our platform. One year from now, 
I mean, I'll be in New York, so I'm working on my visa right now, which I'm super excited about. And we'll we'll hopefully have built the full the full scale platform. We'll have piloted it, and we'll be delivering a platform that helps clinicians get therapy ready clients and deliver higher quality care to thousands, if not millions, of of patients. And for the industry in a year's time, I do think we're going to be seeing a lot more Gen AI, a lot more, I think, support on the intake side. And I think it might get really interesting on the matching side of things as well. So really excited to see how that how that improves care. I do think there's going to be, there's definitely a, a sort of learning curve uh, for the clinicians because they don't tend to necessarily love technology or be super well-versed in technology. So there's, there's yeah, a learning curve to be to be had. Um, so it's not going to ramp up super quickly, but I think one year we'll start to see that that shift. And then in 10 years, I mean, hopefully so much change. There's a lot of hope that I have for this industry. You know, I, I think what we want to see is higher quality care, more measurement happening. Currently, the way that the way that therapy is delivered is very subjective. We want to see some standardized interventions measurement being being really really key because not everyone is measuring and actually you know even less than half of the clinicians are measuring um and then really how can you how can you track progress if you're not actually measuring how people are doing on a regular basis and then also more culturally competent care which i think we're in the very early stages of but there just isn't actually enough research out there to demonstrate what can be more helpful uh, for various cultures and for me personally Paradigm Health will be, hopefully will be, will have grown significantly. Maybe we'll have even seen an exit. And I do, you know, I love being an entrepreneur. I love being a founder. I love building things. And I hope to have built a few other companies as well within the next 10, 10 years. Well, that's very exciting. And I'm personally extra excited to welcome you to New York when you do make your move here. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing more about your journey as well as Paradigm's journey. Thanks so much, Zoya. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.